One day, a man checks in on his neighbor. It's an elderly woman who lives next door to him. They're standing in the doorway chatting, and she says, It's a good thing you dropped by. Maybe you can help me with something. I started a killer jigsaw puzzle, and I can't figure out where to begin. The neighbor asks, What's it supposed to be when it's finished? And the silver-haired lady says, According to the box, with the picture on it, it's supposed to be a rooster. Her neighbor decides to step in and help out with the puzzle. The woman leads him over to a room where she's got the puzzle spread out all over a table. He studies the pieces for a moment. Then he looks at the box. Then he turns to her and says, First of all, no matter what we do, we're not going to be able to assemble these pieces into anything resembling a rooster. Then he takes her by the hand and says, Secondly, why don't you just sit down? I'll make you a cup of tea. And then let's put all these cornflakes back in the box. As our reading of the persecution of Jesus, as told in the Gospel according to John, ended last week, a rooster is crowing. It is reminding Peter of his three denials of Jesus. The rooster is crowing. It is a reminder that the dawn is breaking. But the sun is rising on a world the followers of Jesus can scarcely recognize. Everything seems to be falling apart into pieces. They cannot imagine how it will be put back together again. The disciples aren't the only ones who are confused. The religious leaders are trying to figure out what is laid out before them. They believe that Jesus is a threat to their culture, their power, and the purity of the religion they lead. They are encountering a situation as confounding as making a rooster out of cornflakes. How can they get rid of this upstart Rabbi Jesus without taking any responsibility for what becomes of him? Pontius Pilate, too, is in the dark as this day is breaking. He is the Roman governor of the region, and it is his job to keep order so the highly prized corn crop will keep flowing from Israel to Rome and its other provinces. He has to get along with the religious authorities of this place so he can govern, but he doesn't want to be involved in their arguments or make the wrong step. Now it seems Pilate has walked into a situation where he can't fit together the pieces of the story that he is being fed. He wants to know why what Jesus did to make his own people so angry they will hand him over to the Romans. He wants to know if Jesus sees himself as a king, which would make him a threat to Roman political and economic stability. Instead, 
Pilate has one piece that says that Jesus has committed a crime and another piece that says no one will make a direct accusation. He's got a piece that says that Jesus claims to be a king, but the man standing before him won't take the crown. What is truth? Pilate sounds as if he is disgusted with the whole pursuit. Perhaps he is dubious about the ability to find truth, no matter how many pieces of this puzzle he holds. He may even be doubting the existence of truth altogether. In which case, Pilate sounds very much like populists, pundits, politicians, and the general population today. We are inundated with facts and figures and ideas and information and explanations, and we are having a difficult time fitting the pieces together into a coherent whole. We seem to disagree on what the pieces are and on what the final picture should be. A surprising number of people seem willing to say, what is truth anyway? It's all subjective. You can't trust anyone. Truth is whatever you believe it is. It's whatever I can convince you it is. Or even, there really is no such thing as truth. There was a time, I remember it, perhaps you do too, when we as a people had an implicit agreement that truth matters. And there was an explicit understanding that truth was found by establishing the facts. It is called empiricism. It seems though that there never was total acceptance of this proposition by the population or even within ourselves. One of the studies that helped uncover this began as research on how to convince parents to vaccinate their children. Parents who are resistant to vaccinations often hold beliefs that the vaccine is at best unnecessary and even dangerous. Health workers were sent out with a raft of facts about the safety and effectiveness of vaccines. And they noticed something startling. Those who are most opposed to vaccinations become even more opposed to vaccinations when presented with facts that discredit their point of view. When we feel strongly about an issue, we are not dispassionate. When we hear information that contradicts our biases, we tend to resist it and think of all the reasons the information is wrong and become more deeply entrenched in our original opinion. 
It's called disconfirmation bias. If we believe we have a rooster in our hands and someone tells us it's not a rooster, we will assert that this rooster can crow and suspect there is a conspiracy to sweep its feathers into a cornflake box. And don't think these behaviors are limited to anti-vaxxers. We all have things that we believe, biases, opinions. Studies show that when we are presented with facts that contradict our beliefs, we are almost universally unswayed. We pay attention to the facts, the opinions, the news channels, the speakers who agree with us. We dismiss or turn off opinions other than our own. It's called confirmation bias. If I believe I have a rooster and my neighbor tells me I have a mess, I'll just nod politely, send them on their way, and find a neighbor who will agree with me about my rooster. Perhaps most alarmingly, we seem to have a fascination with what is untrue. We repeat what is untrue, what is false, faster and with greater enthusiasm than we repeat what is true. If you still believe in facts, you can read the research. It's a longitudinal study of what is retweeted or passed on. By all metrics, correct information rarely spreads to more than a thousand people, while false news easily reaches a hundred thousand people. So if I heard that my neighbor had cut her rooster up into a 300 pieces and put them in a box, people would be reading that featured story by the end of the week. As Christians, we need to care that these patterns of human thought and behavior are destructive. Lives are lost on account of unwillingness to recognize facts. Communities are gerrymandered and sequestered as we each seek to maintain the biases of our solo silos. The opportunity for relationship and peace is squandered when we carefully cultivate a collection of facts that fits our theories. Particularly damaging is the circulation of untrue rumors, fake or false news, or conspiracy theories. The simple act of clicking on a link to a fake story, to a rumor, much less passing it on, serves to aggregate its potency. What is false takes on a reality of its own. We need to hear that those who work with trauma survivors say that the effect of reading, 
listening to, or reposting what is untrue is particularly damaging to victims of trauma, soldiers, police officers, and first responders. There are facts and there is the truth. Pilate can't figure out the facts of whether Jesus has said he is a king or not. Do Jesus' own people want him put to death or not? And Pilate certainly doesn't recognize the truth when it is standing right in front of him. What is truth? At the Passover meal, at which Jesus is arrested, the disciples are still gathered around Jesus, listening to his final teaching. He says to them, I am the truth and the way and the life. Jesus does not say his teaching is the truth or what people will teach about him is the truth. He does not say religion is the truth or the Bible or the church or any system of ethical or theological teaching. He does not say living the right way is the truth. Jesus says he is our truth, our way, and our life. Who Jesus is and how he lived and how he died and that he was raised and that he will come again, that is our truth. That might lead us to contend that facts don't matter so much. We have the capital T truth. But all of scripture, our religious tradition, Jesus' teaching, makes it clear that while truth is essential, facts matter. From the Ten Commandments to the teaching of the epistles, we hear, do not bear false witness. Do not slander, do not deceive, do not swear falsely, put away all falsehood. We are called to be honest with the facts. We cannot despair of there being any objective reality that is defined by agreed upon facts. And we must not manipulate those facts knowingly or unknowingly to an end we believe is advantageous to us or another. But it is not enough to know the facts. Facts aren't the truth. And importantly, facts are not people. And Jesus came to save people, not to save facts. Following Jesus, we need to meet people where they are, care for them as they are, 
We cannot convince people of anything, no matter how many facts we shove at them. If they are convinced, we do not care for them. The truth, our truth, calls us to live in community with people who may not give a hoot about our facts or our opinions or even about us. Jesus came for all people and he loved them. Some followed him, some turned against him, some sought his death. Their rejection did not stop him from loving them. What does this mean? As we stand in a dark and confused world, remembering the life and the sacrifice of Jesus, we are called to be honest with the facts. We are called to be loving to all people, even if it kills us to do so. We are called to live the truth of the way and the life of Jesus Christ. So we need to know the difference between a box of cornflakes and a jigsaw puzzle and be prepared to tell someone that cornflakes will never make a rooster. And if people insist that cornflakes can turn into a rooster, we still need to love them. We don't have to tell them they're blind or crazy. We just need to help them clean up the mess they are in. And even when we cannot figure out how all these pieces will possibly fit together, we trust that it is God through Jesus Christ who is putting our lives and all creation together to make the picture the reality God intends. As the sun rises, a rooster crows. The Gospel writer John is reminding us that in a dark and confusing world, the light of God in Jesus Christ is still dawning.